0: You're listening to the Wholehearted Podcast, and I'm your host, Cohen Tan. I'm on a mission to set hearts free and inspire people to break out of their self limitations to create the life of their dreams. Each episode, I speak to people around the world who live with vigor, courage, and authenticity, and I hope their stories can inspire you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Wholehearted Podcast. And I'm so excited today to have my friend from Down Under, from Double Australia, Carrie Phipps. Welcome, Carrie.
1: Thank you, Karen. It's always great to have a conversation with you.
0: Fantastic, Carrie, Carrie. So, uh, I mean, what's exciting in your life right now? I mean, it's been quite some time since we caught up.
1: Uh, we've had some really lovely um, family time. We, it's getting cold now, uh, which makes me really miss Singapore a lot more. But we've been (laughs) gathering around big bonfires and uh, you can warm up when you get close. Um, Yeah, time with precious people is always wonderful. So when uh, I think about highlights, it's generally people. So um, not to say that everything's been exciting lately. We've been through like such a period of just grief after grief. And maybe that makes these special little moments even more special.
0: So, usually we ask our our podcast guest, um, what does being wholehearted mean to you?
1: (laughs) Yeah, okay, this is such a good question, and I love that, you know, people say that's a great question when they don't know what to say. I love that you've called this a wholehearted podcast. And I think that this conversation is gonna go on for quite some time. Like what does it mean to be wholehearted, to be living in a wholehearted way? Because I think we, we might feel that we are and then we discover more ways of being more wholehearted. And I guess it's the letting go of what inhibits us from living fully. We, we just wanna yeah live out loud, fully express ourselves and we don't because of not even the words of other people, but even the looks of other people. Like sometimes someone can silence you just with a raised eyebrow or a slight glare or a look of confusion. And and then you can step back and go, oh, sorry, never mind.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so but I think when we are more comfortable with ourselves, then other people are more comfortable with us.
0: Yeah, 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 that really makes sense. I think um, I was just uh, reading a great book by um, Marcus Buckingham. It's called mm-hmm. Love Plus Work, Love and Work. So um, he said something like we can never totally uh, eradicate, you know, people's opinions. And uh, we, I mean, we do not live in a vacuum. We are all social creatures. And so um, we, we take other people's opinions, of, especially those we love, um, to heart. And of course, uh, that should be the case. But it is... It is our, our responsibility to develop our own voice, our own unique voice, and our own confidence, our expressive confidence in ourselves in order to be able to express ourselves wholeheartedly. So you already started talking about some of the obstacles to people living wholehearted lives, um, expressing ourselves. But what about you know living wholeheartedly as in going for what you want to do in terms of your career, in terms of your business? Because I see that you are really a very wholehearted person.
1: Yeah, it's very much been a journey. And, uh, you know, my first, my first job outside of growing up working on a farm, <laughs> my first job in town was dental nursing. And, you know, I didn't aspire to be a dental nurse. Uh, I actually had a very rough um, period in high school and so I didn't finish high school. And then I did a secretarial course at the TAFE College and i'm not a secretarial kind of person but that's just what you did like there wasn't really many options and my teacher said to me she was seeing that i was getting jaded and just not engaging towards the end of the year and hanging out with the wrong people again and and she said you'll be the last person in this class to get a job and it just made me determined to go get a job so the next day i took my new resume that I'd made in class to Dubbo, which is like 45 minutes drive from Gilgandra, where I grew up. And I just went to businesses with my resume and asked if they needed help. And I got a job on the spot (laughs) with a dental surgery because of my family name. The dentist had known my dad since he was two. And um, so, yeah, I was hired instantly because of my family so i went back to taste the next day and i said i have a job as a dental nurse which everyone thought was so prestigious we actually were paid less than the uh, supermarket staff (laughs) but we yeah we had a job that sounded pretty impressive and it was just um it actually did turn out to be a really good early career choice because there was so much great leadership development in that place within a year i was the most senior nurse and i was um, asked to hire the staff and sometimes have firm conversations the uh, the dentists just wanted to do dental work they wanted me to do the hiring and firing so yeah super good leadership development and that's but you know I've written about that in my books as well because I was with people in vulnerable moments and holding their hand and seeing how just the little things can really make a big difference to people so I'm very grateful for that for that early start but yeah wasn't a Career that I pursued or that I was looking for. I just wanted to prove my teacher wrong.
0: <laughs> so it's kind of like sometimes you know we stumble upon, um, or rather you know we're called to do a certain kind of job, and uh, you know it's like um, we develop you know unique skills like you know empathy yeah. um, that you just shared. It really reminds me of yeah. a video I saw a couple of years back. It's um, it's a video on YouTube. It's created by the Cleveland Clinic. And it talks about empathy, and so the whole video is about people in a hospital scene. But uh, you actually have, you know, like thought bubbles, or rather like words, um, yeah. about their inner thoughts, and and then when you know, you know their inner thoughts. You know, you really can, you know, walk a mile in their shoes, and that really is the essence of empathy, isn't it? Wow, fantastic, fantastic, and yeah.
1: I'm just thinking, and there were times we lacked empathy. So I, I can see now that it was so good to work with people because if I just ended up in a secretarial job where I was out in the back office like shuffling paper, <laughs> that would have been like so bad for me. But I I guess growing up on a farm and caring for animals too and being in a small school, I, I always tended to look after the um, – you know someone or some like an animal that was limping or on the outside you know I just noticed and because I was bullied at school I I knew what it was to be isolated and oh. um you know rejected so I think that developed empathy like I would look for people that were on their own or I would just notice them and so I would want to include them but uh but yeah there are, I certainly see times where I lacked empathy because I didn't have the experience so Let's talk about gas for a moment. You know, you can go to the dentist and they, well, I don't know if they do this now. Maybe dental surgeries have changed so much. They're amazing now. We've got beautiful aquariums on the roof or uh, TV with beautiful scenes and all of these things to help you be calm. But we only had a fish tank out in the waiting room. But we had gas. And so they'd put gas on people for, uh, you know, to help them calm down. But we didn't actually believe that it did anything. We thought it was just, you know, just made you think that something good was happening and so so i I confess to maybe rolling my eyes a little at people that wanted the gas (laughs) because we're just like just sit there and deal with it and it wasn't until i was giving birth where they said you know you can have gas and i i said i don't want the drugs i just decided that i was not going to go that down that path but i went oh i might have the gas at the end but it was more to like placate other people like so that they you know felt like they were doing something to help but then i discovered oh the gas actually does affect you like <laughs> all those years where i just thought oh gosh people don't need gas as if that does anything <laughs> so i'm oh, sorry to all those people yeah so i think having um challenging situations like being bullied or you know going through different things it certainly increases oh. your empathy or it gives you the opportunity to develop empathy
0: Wow, wow. I mean, as you're, as you're sharing about being bullied, you know, I'm having this <clears throat> visceral reaction because I was also bullied in school. So, um, yeah. I mean, it could be a reason for many people to, you know, shut down and you know, not live a wholehearted life. So how, yeah. I mean, how did you bounce back, you know, from, from being bullied?
1: I think, <laughs> I think that it, Makes you realize how much it matters to reach out to people and how much those small things matter, because while all the girls my age were told they were not allowed to be my friend, there were girls who were younger who were in a different class who weren't affected by that you know decree that had been made. And so just them being there for me, I think I realized, yeah, how much it matters just to to be there for someone. So, and then when somebody tells you, thank you so much. Uh, I remember there was a girl on the school bus who went to a different school, but we were like all the farm kids going into town. And um, some of the kids on the bus were really mean to her. And that had happened to me on a different bus. It kind of those buses on either side of the farm. So when I was older, when I was going to TAFE, I'm not in a school uniform like the rest of the kids. So I wasn't you know, the victim of bullying because I probably looked grown up. Um, But there was this little girl that the kids were mean to. And so I always sat with her. And then the bullies just backed off. And the bus driver was grateful to me, but she wrote me like little notes sometimes saying thank you. And so it's just, it was, I guess, empowering to me to know that it mattered. You know, like I felt like I'm making a difference here for this, you know, one timid girl. And uh, so I think I've been, I've been developed so much by people who have given me feedback, who've, and when i say feedback it's it's not what a lot of people think it's like can i give you feedback um it's been encouragement (laughs) you know i've heard that ah these small things matter that they make a difference that um you know my smile lifted someone or my you know just moment of giving someone attention made them feel so included and and so i'm like oh that's awesome because that really matters and i'm sorry that they didn't feel included until i came across them you know so yeah, I've been, I'm doing what I'm doing now because I'm encouraged by people. So I might have been timid or um, reluctant to step up, but people have encouraged me and told me, I need to use my voice. I need to keep doing what I'm doing.
0: Wow, 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 wow. I mean, it, it is not it true, right, that the world, you know, is a mirror to ourselves? And sometimes, you know, when yeah. people give you that kind of like, you know, that raised eyebrow, that, that, that roll of the eyes. You know, it's, it's it's easy to, you know, catch that negative energy. But we what we really need is we need people around us to see the the beauty in us, right? Sometimes yeah. we, we do what we do and we just go about doing it. It's like, ah, yeah, but I do it anyway, of course. But we, we kind of take it for granted until we see it through the eyes of other people and yeah. how much it means to them. Wow, wow, yeah. wow. Well, that's your early experience of speaking to a stranger or really just being with a stranger, right? And you never know yeah. the kind of difference that it can make. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, that is great, right? To, to go back to the origin. <laughs> I mean, it's like, uh, I mean, I know you as the author of Do Talk to Strangers. And um, you, have, you have also written um, Do Talk to Strangers Travel Edition and your latest book, Do Talk to Strangers and how it really makes a difference in their lives in elevating stress mm-hmm. wow I, I, I'm, I'm so glad I'm, I'm listening to you know where it all came from <laughs> <I> mean,
1: <laughs> and of course when when you mention the Do Talk to Strangers travel toolkit yes. we must also mention that there are stories by Karen Tan in there and I loved that I loved that you were just sharing stories with me in a Facebook chat because you were so excited about my books then I'm like Cohen, that's an amazing story can I share that in the book <laughs> so <laughs> I've loved um, I've loved swapping notes with you on um, talking to strangers stories wow I had a lot of fun yeah it enriches our own lives and the lives of others
0: I had a lot of fun doing that and uh, you know it's, it's funny because I it's another example right of um, I was just doing what I was doing anyway um, I, I just thought that was going to be part of my private collection my, my private story collection <laughs> until you kind of yeah. shone the light on it and say hey can you can you write this in my book or can you share this story in my book I mean I had a lot yeah. of fun doing that. So yeah. thanks for that Carrie. I mean mm-hmm. when you when you started then um, did that I mean of course what you did for that little go um was that like the the starting point um, of, of, of awareness of realization that hey you know um, this is something that I was meant to do
1: I, I, I think looking back, we see all of those connections like Steve Jobs says (laughs) Mm -hmm. and our friend Shirley Taylor connecting the dots but we we don't realize it at the time we're not thinking I wasn't thinking forward I wasn't thinking what am I going to do I I, well mum said she, she thought I would be a teacher because I was teaching my younger brother maths he's six years younger so I would you know hold up little ornaments little um ceramic things and go you know, so there's this, wow. and then this, and so how many, how many are there? And so I started, before he went to school, started him on the basics with math and um, loved teaching him things. And uh, he loved learning and he's gone on to become a teacher. But, um, but yeah, because my schooling was derailed by, you know, a fair bit of trauma in year nine, um, I didn't have the opportunity to you know, graduate from high school and go into university, kind of do the traditional path so i don't i think i was just fortunate i would have just felt fortunate to have a job (laughs) to be a dental nurse um you know it sort of felt like i wasn't thinking big i was just thinking this is amazing you know earning 160 dollars a week for a full-time job (laughs) 8 a.m till 6 p.m and sometimes later if we had you know surgeries going over time but um i felt very fortunate because I probably didn't have hope for anything beyond that. And I didn't even have that much hope only a year or two before. So, yeah, I wasn't planning a career like a lot of people come through school and university planning, you know, where are they headed in life?
0: Wow. Not a big wow. at all. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, I, I didn't know that, um, that the backstory of yours, it seems to be, you know, you've taken a kind of a circuitous route um, to, to where you are right now. But I mean, oh, in, yeah. in a strange, in a strange way, right? It's like you are now teaching people how to connect with strangers and how to, you know, connect with with your whole heart, whole connect wholeheartedly, right? Connect with confidence, yeah. and it's that's yeah. wonderful, right? It's, I mean, you are you are in a sense doing what you're doing, and yeah. I mean, yeah. here's the thing, right? A lot of people, you know, especially the young people that I, I meet on, on my speeches and on my training workshops. Um they're they're always looking um, they're always asking this this existential question like, what is my life yeah. purpose? What am I meant to do? Yeah. What should I be doing? Um, but I, I personally feel that you know a lot of, a lot of the times you know our early our earlier years in our life, our formative years of our lives, and all these and all these steps of the way, all these experiences that we've had, they are clues, yeah. right? They're kind of like signposts and clues yeah. and you know uh, to, to guide us on our way so were you always so aware of all these little clues or were you just you know just moving through life oh
1: you know moments moments give you awareness so i'm just thinking now that you've mentioned that of someone who raised awareness for me when i was 19 and i came home from a big day at the surgery and she said kerry you're the most negative person i know and i was quite shocked um, because I probably thought I was, like, you know, lovely and professional and welcome people to the surgery. And, but behind the scenes, I'm coming home and complaining about the day and, you know, and it was a challenging place to work, but when she said that, I was kind of offended and she said, I don't want to ask you how was your day because you've always got a negative response. And it shocked me and it raised awareness then of what was I saying when people asked me how I was and what was going on. I think I was still just responding from a place of trauma in a place where I was comfortable so I could be myself. And uh, so it was just all kind of hanging out at home. And, yeah, she really helped me in so many ways to heal. And sometimes those rude awakenings are the best things for us. (laughs) But when I tell people that now, they're like, She said, what? And they're offended on my behalf. And I'm like, no, no, no. It was the best thing. (laughs) She she wasn't wanting me to come home and pretend that everything was good. But just complaining about the same things all the time doesn't move you forward. And I guess the awareness helps you realise, like, what, what are my conversations like? And why am I telling you this? So if I'm going to tell you about all the awful things that are happening, is it with Is it um, with an intention to move forward or just dump it on you? Because sometimes we, if we're all in our head about our own trauma and uh, and someone's like, you know, so what's new? And I just dump it on you. I don't, I'm not caring about you and the impact that's going to have on you. But if I need to share it, I might say, do you really want to know, Cohen? Because it's not been easy lately. And then it shifts the conversation into a purposeful conversation rather than, you asking to be polite, me telling you because I'm just dumping all over you and moving on. <laughs> it can be a conversation oh. for healing and moving forward and so that's how our conversations changed.
0: Wow, wow, wow. Thanks very much for that. And you just provided a very, very great distinction between being being authentic and honest and being, you know, flooding. I mean, in psychology we call this flooding, right? Like dumping right. dumping on, on, yeah. onto other people. I thought that, that was just a great, um, you know, reframe It's like, Cohen, would you really want to know? Because it's been kind of challenging lately. I think there's a great line, great context to set, you know, to to really have meaningful conversations. So, yeah.
1: And I love that unpacking stories really provides fresh insight. So, you know, as we're having this conversation, that conversation 30 years ago, (laughs) um, I haven't thought about for a little while, and, uh, but I share it with you and then you ask questions about it and then we unpack it more. And, um, and that's what I love about conversations with other people who are growing, who are moving forward because we can be really real about life being challenging.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And like you, you asked me about what's exciting in my life right now. Yeah, there's exciting things and there's grief, there's everything. And we can just be okay with whatever's there because we want to show up honestly. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a great, um, I mean, I mean, how appropriate for these times, right? So, like, a lot of people have just been having really challenging times over the last two years.
1: Can I share something with you that I um, I wrote, I've been, so as you know, (laughs) I wrote last, well, last year we launched, but we started in 2020. How to talk to strangers to decrease anxiety, build confidence, and make a big difference in the world, which you shared beautiful stories for. Um, and I think because I was working on that book, because I was uh, supporting a 16-year-old client to write her book, and I was I was retraining in another coaching framework uh, and certified as a positive intelligence mental fitness coach at the end of last year. And then the beginning of this year, I'm like, I'm done. I just can't write anymore. <laughs> There's something about the editing process that just killed me. And I just say I have no words and writing is a great effort. And so even my journaling has diminished. And anyway, over the past few months, I've just been writing more and more. And when I'm just out and then I have an epiphany and then I just put it in my phone. And so I just want to share something that um, I put in my phone. Um, Oh, I just edited it the other day, so it's not showing the date that I wrote it, but maybe a month ago. I said, gratitude is my lifeline. It's what I immediately reach for when confronted with a challenge, a painful memory. It can be a coping mechanism, a good one, but it can also seal me off from a painful reality I might need to process. So I just hear that in what you're saying, Cohen, you know, it's like, yeah, this is great this way. And we can be grateful for, we can be choosing the positive or we can be choosing to be grateful, but we're not addressing just the honest effect of something that's really impacted us. Like, it actually really hurts that I haven't been able to travel and see these people or, you know, I've been feeling so, you know, stuck and and trapped. But because, you know, business is going well or because something is going really well, I don't want to complain. And, uh, and I think that uh, that was quite an epiphany for me, you know, realizing that, yeah, gratitude is great. Gratitude carried me for two years. Then I realized, You know, there actually is grief to process. Whereas my husband was, you know, we came home from India at the beginning of the pandemic and for the first few months, he was really feeling it because we were going to be living in Asia for most of 2020. That was our plan. And so he was feeling all the things that he lost. Whereas (sighs) I was, I came home from India going, how do I best serve the world right now? You know, I saw everyone going into hustle mode or panic mode and, you know, trying to have flash sales and all of these things and pivoting and all of that. And I know that I'm at my best when serving others. I know that I'm at my best when I'm, you know, walking around in gratitude. So that's where I went. It's like, that's what the world needs right now. (laughs) I just need to be there for other people, which is great. But it's like, you know, if you're holding something up for some time, there is a point at which you need to go, I need to put this down and rest. And I wasn't allowing
0: myself to do that for quite some time. Wow, that's so beautiful what you just shared. You know, it's like, um, I also just had an epiphany right there. It's like, sometimes, you know, there's this gratitude movement, right? It's like, we have to be be grateful for for what we've got, you know, we'll be grateful for, you know, um, three meals, shelter over our heads. But sometimes um, people kind of misuse gratitude so I kind of think it's kind of like a gratitude bypass, right? It's like when, when we are always in gratitude, we always say reframing our, our minds to be in gratitude, then we are not processing what we really need to be processing. And there's where the, the inner treasure yeah. is, the inner insight is. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. there's something you mentioned in there about gratitude is also balanced by grief. I know that gratitude and grief are not the the polar opposites of each other, but it's yeah. the idea of gratitude, but there's also grief there's grief but yes. there's also gratitude it's like it's yeah. it's so powerful wow
1: yeah yeah and, and we need to recognize that we can hold these things together you know sorrow grief and gratitude and joy and you know life is this complex mix and my mind goes back to the autumn leaves some of the trees are literally every shade of yellow orange green reds even like really dark red and purple. And sometimes all of those colours are on one tree. And I saw that recently. I mean, I've seen it for years and my my camera roll is full of autumn leaves every year. (laughs) But I just saw that in a new way in that there's everything all at once in the one place. (laughs) There's the, you know, and then there's the dead ones as well. It's like there's every colour of life in the one tree at this time and uh you know just to recognize that and be okay with that and have a conversation where there might be tears and laughter and all the feelings (laughs) and it's okay it's it's what it is to be human and I I feel like you know it's amazing to have language for things Brené Brown's latest book is you know a gift to the world of language for human emotions and experiences and when we don't have a word for something, we can't sort of assign it a place, you know, we just don't know what to do with it. And I read just recently that, like, the colour blue is the last colour in the world to be recognised because most cultures didn't have anything blue. Like, even blueberries and bilberries, they weren't recognised. They didn't have a name for... color of the ocean or the sky and now that you have that you can see different shades of blue but they literally couldn't see shades of blue it was just counted in with all the greens and there are cultures that have so many different names for different greens whereas we go that's dark green that's light green (laughs) you know that's maybe bright green (laughs) that's kind of jade but we don't have the language for it and i learned um years ago at the first neuro leadership summit that uh, came to sydney in 2008 i believe i've been coaching for about four years and then we're connecting with neuroscientists who are sharing with us what they discover in the lab that relates to the work that we're doing helping people hear themselves think make decisions and um and so cognitive labeling and reappraisal was just mind-blowing it's like to actually notice what is the emotion that i'm feeling rather than like This is not good or it's good (laughs) but to identify yeah that's a feeling of apprehension that's anxiety so once i know that then i can go okay i'm just going to put that anxiety to the side right now and i'm going to choose to be focused and present or to choose to choose a focus that's more helpful to, to turn like nerves into um you know butterflies that are joyful and exciting and it's just a powerful thing to have language and, and I think that's an ongoing thing and so Brene's um, book is yeah. something new that really helps us to identify things that we haven't been able to identify before that have just been this murky feeling that we're carrying around and uh, that might be spilling over and just affecting other people negatively like my experience when I was 19. So hmm. It's it's good to have these conversations, yeah, about words and about emotions and about experiences It it helps us. So, you know, back to the beginning of this conversation, Cohen, I love that you're doing this wholehearted podcast and uh, you're not going to get all the answers in one podcast. You're going to be doing this for a while.
0: As you face the challenges of living up to your own and others' expectations, you may sometimes feel lost and lonely. However, know that you're not alone. We're all here to support you in leaning courageously into your heart's promptings. If you'd like more tips, resources, and to learn more about how you can live more wholeheartedly, or to book me as a speaker, trainer, or coach, please go to coentan.com. That's C-O-E-N-T-A-N dot com. So yeah, I mean, Brene Brown's book, you know, The Atlas of the Heart, I think it just such a wonderful book, right? And being able to feel a whole spectrum, the whole, you know, the whole, you know, smallest board of emotions is such, yeah. you know, it is part of being wholehearted, isn't it? And um, I feel that sometimes yeah. people get a little stuck and fixated sometimes. And um yeah. not being able to go inwards, it's always an inward journey, isn't it? Um, mm. and we're constantly looking for that, you know, that outer stimulation that outer you know something to make us feel good but it really is an inner journey yeah thank you yeah um i want to reference something uh i read in your books, and i think you talked about it before how you got into coaching and you were burnt out right at at work and you had a bit of a, a health issue so um may, maybe you'd like to share, share a little bit more about how that experience have you know helped you to you know pivot and you know if, if you like you know move into this new this new um, career that you love so much
1: yes okay so I was in a really challenging work environment and I was kind of on call 24/ 7 and I was pushing myself and I was taking on extra roles because other people and volunteers were leaving and it's like Carrie's there she can do it and so I, I took a team of young people to Thailand at the end of 2000 and. Three, and I was really hitting the wall then. But I, I again, didn't have language for it. So, like what, what do you call it when you don't want to be around people that you actually love being around? You know, it's confusing. So, when we get to Thailand, um, the missionary that was hosting us said to me, you know, oh, we've got this many motel rooms, and so um, you don't need one if you share with the girls. And, and it was probably the first time in a long time that I'd actually. Stood up for myself and just said, Actually, no, I'll have a room for myself, which, you know, then we can have team meetings or whatever in my room. But I just suddenly felt like this wave of panic if I have to share a room with these teenage girls who I adore and who any other time I would have shared a room with them. But I was like so desperate for space by that point. Like that year had been so intense. And so that's when I first asked for something for myself because everything else was about everybody else and and it was coming home from that trip which was fantastic full of great memories and a lot of fun and beautiful um growing experiences for these teenagers that was their first time overseas and I came home with a virus from uh, we spent three days in Singapore on the way home and so I don't know if it was Singapore the you know the airline that had people from all over the world on it (laughs) but I was so sick with a Virus that puffed me up from like my halfway oh. my ears right down to my collarbone, and oh I was gosh. puffed out like a, you know, a frog or a puff fish or something. And I wouldn't mm. let Lyndon take photos of me. <laughs> now I wish I did mm. because it was I, like <laughs> I couldn't speak because my voice was being crushed by this swelling around my neck. And so Everyone, the doctor said oh, it's mumps, and I'm like, "Well, I had mumps when I was a baby. Can you can get it again, they went, No, your mother was wrong. The blood tests have shown that it's mumps. And then ten days later, the blood test comes back, and they said, "Well, it's not mumps." Anyway, so I couldn't get a diagnosis for that, but they just said it's not mumps. And um, and then I had a um, like a post viral fatigue, um, and I just pushed myself through that year, and um, you know I was going home at lunch for a sleep and then going back to work and I was dragging myself through the year. And um, a psychologist friend of mine said, he was from out of town, but when he came to Dubbo, he said, you need to stop. And it's like, there's no time to stop. And I know a lot of people relate to this. You you see all the things that have to be done and you're looking at the outside world (laughs) and not paying any attention to the inner world and your health. And so I really pushed myself. I, I did take a month off in July or August. And you know, I pushed myself to the end of the year and then I just literally could not get off the lounge. Like I drove home realizing that something was really wrong and I just had to concentrate to get home, get the car in the driveway, went into the house, sat down, couldn't get off the lounge, and I called Lyndon and he came home. And I said I just want to go to bed. And he's like, go. And I'm like, I, I can't. Like it's like my body and my brain just would not cooperate. It was like, nope, we're done. You just uh, So that was a really challenging um, and humiliating time because when you're so capable and everyone's leaning on you and expecting you to be the one keeping things going and pulling things together, it's um, super challenging. So that, um, that was like a major disruption to my life that ended up being such a gift. And so in my recovery, and so my psychologist friend actually specialised in working with leaders in burnout. So he had been telling me to slow down, to stop. And, and so in the end, he said, um, you're not doing a thing, like don't, don't, you're not doing anything that is you know, taking responsibility for anything. <laughs> and um, he said, you are on the verge of being in hospital for a very long time. And so you're gonna stop. So I was so grateful that, he knew what he was talking about and uh although we and he got me to um go to the doctors and get an anti um like a antidepressant. <laughs> so i couldn't think of the name of it for a moment. and i'm like really <laughs> um and he said yeah the depression secondary to the burnout um but you need to you know rebalance your brain chemicals and um so that was super challenging and then he you know recommended that i just get a couple of days a week work in a really <clears throat> excuse me um just an easy pace you know retail just talking to people selling clothes whatever so i did that and um i did work at a, a clothing store for a couple of months just a couple of hours a day for probably three or four days a week then um i started working in another store like there was beautiful furniture and home homewares and um I didn't know that it was a new business, like only a year old or something. I didn't know that they had a ceiling or just expect, expectations of new people to not sell very much. So like just sell a couple of cushions and that's fine. And I was selling all the big ticket items because I didn't know that, uh, you know, I shouldn't be able to do this. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the thing was, I think my energy was so low. but. Seeing people kind of lights me up. So I would just be like happy to see you. And then if you want to look at this lounge or at this dining table, then I'll sit down at it with you because my energy is low, but I'll show you like from a seated position. And so customers are sitting down with me. And I think they felt really comfortable because they're, you know, in a seated position, they're looking around and just having a little conversation with me. And so they're buying all the big stuff. And um So of course the bosses were delighted. (laughs) They were calling me lounge queen, and um, (laughs) you know, telling me that I was making record sales. So they've never given anyone a bonus in their first month, but they're giving me bonuses, and you know, because that's actually the system. If you sell, you know, the big stuff, you get bonuses. Um, And then I decided, okay, this is not what I thought I'd be doing forever. Because really, I don't mind whatever lounge you want to sit on, Cohen. That's fine. Like I'm not passionate about furniture. I just you know, and more interested in people and their lives. But I'm like, okay, I think I'll commit to this for a year. And so I went into work the next day and they said, uh, we need to have a meeting and uh, we've decided you're not suitable for the team, so we need your badge and keys immediately. What? <laughs> that was kind of my response because I was riding high. they just being like celebrating me, you know, the previous day. And it didn't make any sense to me until I learned that There was someone in the team that pushed out anyone who was more successful. And um, anyway, and I did see those bosses years later when I was coaching and they were kind of embarrassed to see me. And I said, you guys did me the biggest favour. It's like the elephant in the room. Like -hmm. you can't just pretend like, oh, yeah, I know you from years ago. How are you? Um, Because it was just there. And so I went, you know, that was a big turning point in my life because I started asking well what am I here for like where where do I go from here how do I more effectively help people and I came across coaching and I went oh my gosh this is a thing it's like there's words on this web page from my journal (laughs) this is totally what I was looking for and again it's back to that having language for something that is just this idea that you can't really articulate and then you see it expressed somewhere and it's like oh my gosh this is what i've been looking for my whole life without knowing it and uh so oh and at the beginning of 2004 probably march april a doctor said to me well you won't work for five or ten years and that was that was an even stronger response than the teacher telling me i wouldn't get a job <laughs> i'd be the last person to get the job when they said i'd be the like I knew that in that, like you won't work for five or 10 years. I felt really strongly. I know I'm on the planet for a purpose. Don't know what that is right now, but I know I'm on the planet for a purpose and it's not to sit on the lounge for the next five or 10 years. And so that really, yeah, put me in this soul searching place. Where do I go from here? And um, so it was only six months later, I was working with a coach myself and I was signed up for the training. By the end of the year, I had my first two clients so 2004
0: was quite a pivotal year wow wow yeah
1: yeah so it was actually the the brokenness that was the beginning of amazing amazing adventures
0: wow there's so much to unpack over there Carrie, you're such a resilient (laughs) person i mean um just 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 coming back to the the, how you were fired if i could say or or let go from the job you're performing (laughs) well in that just, just yeah. doesn't make sense, right? Um, but that, that just goes yeah. to show so much, you know. Very um, often people say, "You know, I cannot sell something I don't believe in." Um, it's not so much of believing in the product, right? Many people in sales or in business, they're getting it wrong. Um, they, they think that you know people are buying products. You know, people are buying a human emotion, right? So what you're doing when you're sitting on that couch or that lounge and you know talking to people, beyond just you know matching their energy beyond just looking them in the, at eye level, but really just giving people an experience, an experience of what yeah. it feels like, you know, to, yeah. to, to go back and sit on this lounge when they go back, right? Um, that's why, yeah. that's what helps them to buy, right? So it's, it's kind of yeah. like test driving a car, right? And it, it just yeah. goes back to this idea of creating wholehearted, you know, working environments. Um, I was reading that, you know, if the housekeeper of a hotel is not allowed to lie on the bed, then how are they able to have the kind of empathy, the kind of like, you know, mirror neurons, um, um, kind of empathy for what it yeah. feels like for to lie on the bed that they make every day. They make yeah. hundreds and hundreds of this bed on a daily basis, but they have yeah. absolutely no idea what it feels like to lie on the bed. So how yeah. can they then do their job better? It becomes just, going through the motions, going back to the experience of when you, when you are told that you, you're not going to work in in the next few years. I mean, you always bounce back for, from challenges. Is this like a magic sauce that allows you to always bounce back to challenges from challenges or bounce back from people saying negative things to you?
1: Well, I think sometimes it's determination and it's survival instinct. It's being told you can't do this. And you're like, i have to i need to and i want to i don't want to stay stuck i don't want to be you know written off and sitting on the lounge at home for five or ten years no (laughs) it's just like not an option so i think um i think also like my dad he always pushed me out of the comfort zone so he made me do things that i probably thought i couldn't do and uh, he was actually a PT instructor in the army, physical <laughs> training. So, so I grew up with wow. obstacle courses, ab sailing, climbing um, <gasps> things, jumping off things, swinging on things. He took <laughs> every circus that came to town. And uh, so he had a trapeze shed, so it's a machinery shed, so for tractors and everything. But then there were also trapeze swings there, so we could. um swing back and forth and do tricks and um but yeah there would have been plenty of times where I thought I don't know if I can do this but maybe he just started me so young that I would just climb everything and just explore (laughs) I think I'm probably quite like him in that and so I think it's really important to build those wins into your life and I saw that with my son when he was quite young and we're actually talking about this on the weekend it was, you know, we sometimes have drought for years on end and so he didn't really know rain, heavy rain. And uh, and one day it just started pouring and it was, like, so exciting for me. <laughs> and I said to him, let's go jump on the trampoline. And he just looked horrified. He says, Mum, we'll get wet. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. Oh my word, okay, he needs, he needs some of these like experiences. And uh, I took him out to the farm, we went climbing trees and climbing up onto the roof of the house. And he was quite challenged by it. And uh, he said some very cute things like, mum, how old were you when you started this risky business? <laughs> and mum, I don't think I'm as gymnastically talented as you. And I'm like, you'll be right, get up here. <laughs> And he did. And and now as an adult, he reflects on how that was a turning point for him because we face challenging things in life. It might not be a physical challenge, but it's something that we just think, I can't go on. I can't move forward from here. I don't know how. But once you bring in that word how, then you start going, oh, how could I? How can we make this possible? And so when I'm told, sorry, you can't do this, I just go, okay, so how can we? we are going to find a solution. And I think coaching really um, supported that as well, gave me language and questions. And I mean, sometimes there have been moments where I'm told, no, it is just not possible. Like when I was taking my mum and my granddad to Papua New Guinea and I go to check in passports and the lady said, um, I'm sorry, there's a problem with one of these passports. So I'm like, oh, okay. Because I'm thinking, okay, there's a problem, so we're going to fix it and she says she can't fly because um mm. it expires in march i said that's next year and she said yes but it's going to be six months validity i was like Ah, oh, okay so how can we fix this and uh, i'm just like how are we going to get her on the plane today and she's like no <laughs> she's like Where will we will be fined thousands of dollars like if we put her on this plane like she is not flying today and i was like oh okay so how can we you know get this fixed as soon as possible and so she rings the embassy it's a sunday and so yeah she rings the embassy to get it sorted and they said you know we really only do it this fast if there's like a death <laughs> but um it was the 70th commemoration of the kokoda campaign and uh, granddad was going up with some other veterans he was 94 at the time and so i went to Papua New Guinea with him, and we left mum in Sydney to get her passport the following day, and then she could come up a couple of days later when there was a flight into Kokoda. So um, sometimes things just aren't going to work out like you want them to. But, um, but I will ask, how are we going to fix this? How are we going to look at this? Because we will find ways forward. But as soon as we say, I can't, or there's no way, then our creativity just stops immediately. Yeah. So we've always
0: got to ask how. Love that. that. I love, I love, love, love that. I mean, talking about uh, asking questions, right? I read somewhere in your books that you mentioned that you are a professional question asker. I love that. Yeah. I just love that. It's like, it just caught my eye. And so um, yeah. have you always had this curiosity for, for life and for people? Was that something you've developed through your life? Uh,
1: Very profoundly through coach training and coaching, and then just everyday life. So, asking someone on a plane, Are you just going to Sydney today or further on? And then realizing what that opens up. Because, you know, I fly from Dubbo to Sydney. So, it's a regional flight. Some people might be going to Sydney for the day for meetings. They might be, it's a one hour flight. So, sometimes they're down and back in the day. Sometimes they're going, you know, as the first time I asked this question, it just, popped out it was actually an early morning flight i didn't think i'd really be having much conversation (laughs) but when i asked that question of the guy that sat next to me it just opened up like one question after another i said you know are you just going to sydney today or further on and he said i'm going to germany to stay with my family for a couple of days then going to london i was like oh great so and what are you doing in london and he said i've been asked to work at the olympics so then it's just more questions i'm curious at that point and and so again another day and so he was he was um catering for the us vips and you know so i asked him about how does he get a job like that you know it turns out that the guy that hired him he worked with at the palace i'm like oh buckingham Mm -hmm. palace and he said yes and I'm like, oh great! And you live in Dubbo now? And he's like, yes. But he could see that I, he, I could see that he was a little reluctant to share because people might not believe him, because people in a country town can say like, but how could you live here? Why would you live here when you've done this amazing thing? <laughs> and it's like people can, people anywhere, people you're passing the street can have the most extraordinary backstory, and you don't see it because you just see them and whatever they're wearing that day. And you can just make assumptions based on whatever's going on in your head that they don't have an extraordinary life and they do. (laughs) And so another day, I asked a lady if she was, you know, where she was headed to, and she said, double to Delhi. And she was the first person who said to me, You need to speak in India. Like we talked the whole flight to Sydney, and then she or her daughter emailed later and said, That's the first time in all her they to Delhi flights and and Delhi to Melbourne where her other daughter was. First time that she'd had a conversation with somebody on a plane, which just kind of shocked me.
0: And so you realise,
1: oh, it kind of matters. Like they loved that. The whole family loved that she got to have a conversation on a plane. But it was so profound for me because he was a teacher. Her entire life was teaching English to students in Delhi. And I was like, wow, imagine where all your students have gone. They'll be all around the world doing amazing things. And, and she had like two daughters in Australia and, um, and one of them's a doctor here. And I realised that those questions, they, they matter. And they're, they're questions that move people forward, that move the conversation forward. And so I think it's just been a, an ongoing learning and sometimes you ask a question and, and somebody said to me just the other day that, that asked a question and realized because of the response, oh, I'm onto something here. So I think it's really important to pay attention to those feelings of like, oh, this is, this is taking me somewhere. This is interesting. And this is a question that maybe lights people up. You know, when you ask them about where's their favorite cafe and they start telling you very excitedly about their favorite food or drink but if you ask a question maybe about politics or something really challenging going on and you see the energy take a dive and you go ah okay maybe i don't want to have so many of those conversations maybe i want to ask people about things that matter to them that light them up what's their dog's name like how old is it and all of those things that people just come alive talking about
0: oh i love that that, that, the last part you talked there you you said there about you know um, paying attention, I think we need to pay attention, and very often we don't, you know, pay attention, and um, yeah. that's really what the, the the key essence, right, of connecting with people, yeah. right? Um, yeah. So, yeah. Kerry, you know, it's like um, I wanna end and and our it's been a fantastic discussion and conversation so far. So, I wanna you know um, end our podcast with our um, some some typical little quick fire questions, and so I'm just gonna ask you some very quick quick questions, and you can just you know. Um, very very quickly just go through them yeah (laughs) yeah so
1: okay i'll try and be quick yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah what's the most um powerful question you've been asked before
1: oh my word i can't even think but i would say it's probably a simple question you know sometimes it's a question like what else yeah because then your brain engages with, oh, there must be something else. And so you go find an answer, you know, it ignites creativity. What else is like a powerful question?
0: Fantastic, fantastic. Who is a mentor or supporter who has made a a difference in your life?
1: There have been so, so many. I think, you know, a name that everyone would know would be Brene Brown. Uh, So she's a mentor from a distance. i really relate to her you know texan upbringing we don't do vulnerability you know you just get on with things (laughs) and uh her work is just so aligned with with my own and i i was in the neuroscience based coaching you know brain friendly coaching but more a cognitive conversation than an emotional conversation and she's really like pieced those things together so um yeah i really appreciate that. Neuroscientists that I've learned from, and Brené's work, but there are so many people, the psychologist that I mentioned, Ray, who really helped me at a very broken, pivotal time in my life. Um, you know, was a huge influence for like you know ten years. We'd still catch up. I often see him. Well, when I was traveling a lot, I often just passing in the airport <laughs> because he <we laughs> lives in regional New South Wales, further north, and I'd be like. Oh my gosh, that was like Ray. Oh my gosh, it is Ray. Like again, we're meeting up in the airport. <laughs> so um yeah, he really had a profound impact also on helping me listen to me, listen to my body, listen to the conversation in my head. Um uh, incredibly powerful. Yeah.
0: Great, fantastic, fantastic. So and this this final question is like um what is one of the most courageous things you have done in your life that has made all the difference? One
1: courageous thing. There's so many things that have been probably a courageous decision that are a practical decision. So I'm thinking of a high ropes course, which I actually wrote about in Do Talk to Strangers. The decision to, from the beginning of the day, I am going to complete whatever is thrown at me today. Before I even knew that it was a high ropes course, because I've been told that 80% of people fail at a certain point. And again, it was like not listening to that, um, you know, that indication that like maybe you won't do this. It's like I am in that 20%. I am going to do this. Because there were so many insights along the way that related to the way I work with people, the way that I um, lead people, support people, the way I face challenges, um, the way that we probably the most important insight on that day was right at the end when i'd gotten past the point where 80 percent of people fail and it was serious hard work like it took everything to get myself to the next tree but i realized when i'm standing at the end feeling completely broken like it took everything and i'm watching someone else come over this path that was kind of easy and i felt at that point everyone thinks i can just do this think about this because it looks easy but because I've already expended all my energy on the previous exercise I just think I can do this and it felt very familiar in that I have done things like publishing my first book a colleague just kind of shrugged and said but you do things like this and I was like no I don't this is kind of (laughs) terrifying and amazing that I've done this you know I really put my heart out there and I realized that we we just look at other people and think. It's oh, easy for them we don't realize how much courage it took. and so the section in the book I wrote about this is called leaders need encouragement too because it can be like right before the finish line when you just want to collapse in a heap and it's that encouragement of somebody just going you've got this go for it you know it's the the cheering of someone's coming across the finish line like cheer until they get over the finish line because it really matters. Encouragement matters so, so much. And so while a high rates course, I would say, is not the most courageous thing I've done, the getting through it and unpacking the insights that relate to it um, probably was, you know, one of those key things that, that taught me so much about myself and about other people and about the importance of encouragement.
0: Wow, 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 wow. So much, so much treasure, so much um uh, insights that you've shared today. Thank you so much for your sharing, Carrie. So where can our listeners find you um, if, if they're interested?
1: So on all the socials, <laughs> uh, com, and uh, yeah, there's a calendar link, there's contact details, there's um, yeah, but social media, just send a personal note and say, I connected with you through Cohen, through the Wholehearted podcast. So thank
0: you, Cohen. Thanks for being part of this heartwarming conversation today. If you have enjoyed the show as much as I have creating it for you, I really appreciate it if you can leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you won't miss a future episode. To the next episode, stay wholehearted.